get a balanced analysis on both domestic and international topics within the framework of cross-cultural comparisons. This is Dialogue. Hello and welcome to Dialogue. China has released a white paper on China's legal framework and measures for counterterrorism. The document states that as a victim of terrorism, China has always stressed the importance of law-based counterterrorism efforts and has enhanced its work by following international conventions and treaties while amending and improving criminal laws. What are some of the highlights of the white paper and how has China conducted its counter-terror campaign over the past decade? And what has contributed to the success of the anti-terror efforts in China's Xinjiang Uyghur Autonomous Region? Joining me today are Dalu, assistant professor from the School of Human Rights at the Southwest University of Political Science and Law, Victor Gaojikai, a chair professor from Suzhou University, and Andy Mok, senior research fellow with the Center for China and Globalization. Thank you for joining us. I will start with uh, Professor Dalu. Uh, let's first take a look at the white paper. Uh, tell us, you know, what are the highlights of the white paper? What impressed you the most? Okay, thanks, Chindu, for your question. And for me, from my personal perspective, I think the highlight part of this uh, white paper, which released today, is about, you know, the, the white paper today released is about five parts, right? And the second part is about uh, Kenya provisions on determination of and the punishment of terrorist activities. I think this part is, uh, we need to highlight it. And uh, the reason why I think it's important also, um, it is because, you know, as a legal professor, um, it is very important to tell apart what kind of activities are violation of law and what kind of activities are crime. And because uh, different like activities will use different or employ the different laws, such as the, in, I mean, in the counterterrorism um, activities, if this um, activity is with considered as a crime, then you will lead, you uh, we will use the crime law and the crime procedure law. And uh, if it's just a, a crime, I mean, it's just a violation of law, then we will use administrative penalty. That's enough. So this is part. I mean, it's very important. Also highlight part. And um, so we tell part like different or the different parts or different activities will employ different laws. And also the most impressive uh, main part is about um, the human rights protection because um, you know um, each country nowadays in the world are facing the risk of terrorist uh, terrorist attacks, not only in China. So no, no one country can um, stand alone. And uh, this is also the reason why Lots of countries, not only in China, uh, adopted such kind of like counterterrorism acts or law. Just uh, name it, like UK and the US, United States as well. And uh, however, in this kind of country, they will uh, emphasize the protection of the suspects' rights. Mm -hmm. However, the victims' rights and the other parts and the, uh, like the uh, stakeholders' parts, uh, their, their their rights will be not uh, respected well. So in our counterterrorism legal framework, we not only protect the suspect's rights, but also like the victim rights and also our other parts of mm -hmm. um, their rights. 
Yeah. So it's kind of like balanced. Yeah, rights protection is also important. I mean, uh, so Andy, you know, counter-terror efforts uh, is not only about the security, but also protecting uh, the rights protection of the victims as well as uh, the those suspects. But I remember that it used to be the case, you know, there are debates like how to fight terror. For example, like in the United States, you know, some people would insist, you know, you rely on activities like, uh, you know, intelligence uh, uh, collection and you use the police you do the work and uh, then you do targeted crackdown. And then there are other people, or of course there are the wars, you know, you launch wars against certain countries or certain group to fight terror. So how do you characterize the Chinese practice, uh, you know, in fighting terrorism? No, I think that's a very great point that you raised, Ting Duo. So my understanding is with this white paper, the definition of terrorism is the intentional use of violence or intimidation to accomplish political, ideological, religious, or even economic goals. And here I agree with uh, Da Lu that uh, what's very significant about China's approach is that it's very clear at delineating what is a terrorist act and what is not as well as protecting the rights of individuals at the same time. And to me, this really demonstrates, uh, it's the latest example of China's approach to important problems by taking a comprehensive and integrated approach that focuses on the immediate acute problems. So here would, of course, be violence or intimidation from terrorism but also uh, addressing the root causes as well, uh, whether that's uh, economic deprivation, uh, being a victim of extremism, but also to post-terrorist acts as well. So there's a section on rehabilitation as well. So I think this is an important milestone in China's broader national security uh, efforts, which I think we'll probably talk about a little bit more. Why is this happening now? But it also, I think, again, demonstrates this holistic, very finely calibrated and holistic approach to a very important problem that not only affects China domestically, but we have to recognize, too, that terrorism is a trans-border, cross-border problem as well. And China's approach uh, also allows it to integrate with efforts to fight terrorism at a multilateral level, say at the UN, as well as working with other countries around the world. Well, Victor, could you help uh, you know, elaborate a little bit about you know, the evolution, the rationale of the legal architecture in China, you know, supporting these uh, measures, policies uh, to fight terrorism? Thank you very much. I agree, generally speaking, to the important comments made by the two uh, previous panelists. I would say this white paper is an important exercise in coming up with an overarching framework of defining what terrorism is, who are the terrorists, what are the acts of terror, as uh, Andy just now mentioned, but also to emphasize that terrorism itself does not exist in a vacuum. There are root causes to terrorism, and also terrorism normally does not just exist in one country. It has an international connection to it, and China wants to be proactive in identifying terrorism, dealing with terrorism heads along, and try to deter terrorism, and also deal with the consequences of terrorism of all respects. Now, in this way, this white paper is a very important exercise because it will help 
the Chinese people and the Chinese nation and the government entities and all the law enforcement agencies, you name it, to come to grips with what exactly is terrorism, not only in the overall Chinese legal framework, but also in reference to other countries' experiences, because terrorism sometimes exists across border, for example, and for the terrorism that China has suffered from, especially in Xinjiang, uh, it has indeed an overseas or international dimension to it. All this, I think, should be covered by this white paper. And eventually, it will enable the Chinese people as a whole, the Chinese government entities, the regulators, the law enforcement agencies, to be better prepared in dealing with terrorism and dealing with the root causes of terrorism as well as the consequences of terrorism. The goal is very clear, to free the whole society and the general population of China from the menace of terrorism, because this terrorism is indeed a curse to the general public in China, but it is also a curse to many other countries and communities in all other parts of the world. Therefore, I think this white paper is indeed an enabling exercise to help us, everyone here in China, to come to better grips in dealing with terrorism. Mm -hmm. Well, Victor, China enacted uh, its counterterrorism law in 2015, basically after, uh, let's say, since it launched this anti-terror efforts in 2014 in Xinjiang, you know. Over the past uh, about seven years, uh, we haven't seen any incidents of terror in Xinjiang. Can we say now it's a, a very successful effort, practice of law, practice of uh, comprehensive efforts in this region uh, against the terror? Well, first of all, I think that the Anti-Terrorist Act in itself is a success, especially if we measure it by the occurrence of very serious terrorist attacks in China, which are not being detected, for example. On the other hand, I think anti-terrorism should also be measured in other ways. For example, the overall stability in the society at large and how people from both China and outside of China will look at the situation whether everyone really will agree with us that the situation is stable or whether there are other causes which need to be dealt with, for example. Therefore, I think this white paper really wants to achieve an additional goal. That is to move one level upward to define the whole situation, not only as terrorism in itself, but overall arching view of terrorism, dealing with the root causes, the consequences, and also to pay better attention to protecting the legitimate human rights of each of the individuals in China. Therefore, I think it is more balanced in dealing with terrorism as a whole. We need both the law itself as well as whatever that is being talked about, discussed, stipulated in this white paper to make sure that while terrorism need to be dealt with as it is by all the forces that the Chinese government and the society at large can muster together, we also need to be very careful in protecting the legitimate human rights and the privacy considerations of each and all other people in China. These two things need to be well balanced off and protecting one should not be happening at the expense of the others. 
Yeah, that's right. Uh, it's uh, you know multiple factors uh, in the process. Uh, uh, Professor Dalu, if you look at the Chinese efforts, uh, some would describe that as multifaceted uh, efforts. You know, you have uh, anti-poverty program, for example, to lift people out of poverty, uh, increase their living standard. You have projects to create jobs for young people, and you have programs to help uh, young people better access to education. Uh, so tell us more about this, you know, uh, kind of like a very comprehensive approach in fighting terrorism. So I will tell you something, because actually the, the experience, I mean, the counterterrorism experience told us that if we just uh, put someone, I mean, in the jail and uh, the terrorist will not, I mean, it will still exist. And uh, we need a comprehensive approach to, to counterterrorism. And uh, the Xinjiang and other parts of China, the the practice shows that if you have a better like education for the kids, for the children, and also to create a local job for the people in, in, in Xinjiang and other parts of China as well, it will help them to, like you as mentioned before, to uh, anti-property and to, I mean, to make the better life. And that's is very important because previously in Xinjiang, why lots of like terrorist attacks happened there? It is because of the extremists. The reason why it happened is also because of we are not create a better like a condition for them to like to uh, schooling, to educating the kids, and also to offer the property like jobs for them, and. Uh, if you pro, I mean, offer the proper job for them and also like to educating kids, I mean, this is a, a, a much better way to uh, to emulate this kind of like terrorism in mm -hmm. Xinjiang and uh, in other side of China as well. Right, de-radicalization and of course, you know, stay away from those extreme ideas, ideology. Andy, earlier you mentioned you call this a holistic approach. Tell us, you know, why it is necessary for China to follow this, uh, or why are the reasons, you know, China choose to follow this uh, practice, this holistic approach to deal with uh, the threat from terror? Sure. Well, I think Xinjiang uh, is an excellent case study of exactly as you say, Tsingdo, how a holistic, multifaceted approach can be very effective. And the other thing I want to add here is restraint is also very, very important. So we've seen recently another terrorist attack. And what happens when you respond without restraint and you respond in a disproportionate way? So you're referring uh, that to the, the Gaza conflicts, right? Gaza, exactly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then what happens then is you actually make the problem worse and you create even more future terrorists. And I think what has been shown by the test of time uh, Qingduo with Xinjiang is because we're quite a few years away from those terrorist attacks, is that by following this uh, multifaceted approach, of course, capturing, dealing with the people that actually perpetuated violent crimes, but as we heard, dealing with the economic aspects, uh, the extremist ideology, and very importantly, I think, having a path for rehabilitation. So people, uh, if they were, uh, of course, there's some that were directly involved in violent crime, some that played uh, a contributory accessory role, uh, but you provide an appropriate path
path rehabilitation for people. That is really a long-term solution, and I think this is, again, a great case study that shows how China's approach of being holistic, multifaceted, but also demonstrating restraint, uh, looking to really solve the problem in a dispassionate way and not necessarily looking for vengeance is very, very important. And I think this is, uh, shows a kind of political maturity as well, I would say, Tsingdua. Well, Professor Dalu, obviously, I mean, anti-terror, the fight against terror is not only in, in China, but also across the world, as uh, Victor earlier said. Then looking into the future, the near future in particular, what are the challenges for the Chinese government, for China, in, in, to deal with uh, you know, terror and to uh, maintain peace and stability now, that's the hot one, let's say, in some parts of the country, especially in Xinjiang, for example. Actually, um, in today release, today's release, uh, the white paper already showed that the success of our counterterrorism. But however, I think the biggest challenge for you know, the counterterrorism is not from domestic, it's not a domestic one uh, or in, internal one, it's much more like a, a international one as um, other to um, panelists already mentioned that uh, nowadays, I mean, we are called, I mean, I'm kind of like familiar with this word, Earth Village, right? So, I mean, no country can in this world, I mean, today to uh, stand alone, uh, not release, uh, I mean, not facing the risk of the terrorism. So we need to like to make this kind of like uh, international cooperation. This is very important. Uh, like to cut off this kind of like connection, the internal terrorist and also the outside or in, international terrorist. And uh, this is one side. And the other part is like the reason why we actually, this is second uh, white paper for us to like to uh, on the topic of the counterterrorism. The reason why we are repeatedly to pass to publish this kind of white paper is, is uh, we want to tell the world a truth a simple truth. We are doing this kind of like counter-terrorism operation or campaign. It is because the terrorist attacks is happening in China. I still can I, I still can remember that in 2014, the terrorist attacks uh, in Yunnan, Kremlin railway station square, right? Um, I was in Slovakia in that moment, and I cannot imagine that in Yunnan, I was there like a in 2013, like one year before, and there is a very peaceful um, like city, Yunnan, Akumi. So I cannot imagine that uh, terrorist attacks happened there. As you know that uh, counterterrorism campaign followed this kind of like uh, different approaches and the uh, terrorist uh, attack is not exist, or this kind of things is not existed in China and for a long year and uh, the social Panic is no more uh, existed as well. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, the young people can go outside. This is also very important. I mean, like the freedom of feel free. So that is also very important. Uh, speak of the challenges, Victor. Uh, we know that, as Professor Dalu said, it's, it's not domestic, but mostly. Uh, let's say international or from our side. In particular, you know, I think it's easy to understand the double practice, uh, double standard, for example, somehow like, uh, okay, uh, terror in China is not terror. <laughs> Especially in the, in the case of Xinjiang, we know like Xinjiang mostly the ETIM, I think the East Turkestan Islamic movement that was listed 
that is still on the list of the UN as a terror organization. Of course, the Chinese government designated this, uh, this organization as a terror organization. But in, even the US did that. But in 2020, they removed the organization from the terror list somehow, you know, recognizing instead as a normal organization. And what do you make of that? You know, this kind of a, say, lack of a cooperation probably in jointly uh, crack down against the terror. Well, the irony of uh, international cooperation against terrorism is that there are some countries which call a spade a spade when it applies to itself, or call a spade by another name when it's applied to another country. Now, we all know that in China, we put a premium on stability and security. And uh, there is a law, mandatory education for kids, for example. And no one, including their parents, have any legal right to prevent the kids from going to school. Now, in Xinjiang, for example, there are such incidences where people want to prevent the kids, especially girls, from going to school. Under whatever name, whatever excuse, that's against the law. Now, some people may say, well, it is against my human rights or deprivation of my privacy. I do not want to see my kids going to school, etc., etc. But in reality, that's against the PRC law to prevent any kids, especially girls, from going to school. We need to tell the whole world what's the real story. There are such phenomenons, and these phenomenons do not constitute any excuse for any country, including the United States, to whitewash the underlying terrorist activities and to falsify the situation in Xinjiang. I think everyone in Xinjiang wants to have peace and stability, not only in their own family, but in the society at large. And no one really wants to tolerate the occurrence of terrorism, extreme violence, or preventing the kids from going to school. I think, despite of all the difficulties, promoting international cooperation, forming up a real united front against terrorism of all kinds, all shapes, all colors, for example, will be absolutely important. Because once you divide and rule, once you lose this eagerness and commitment to solidarity, then the winner will be the terrorists. And societies in different countries will suffer the consequences of terrorism. And it's a very ironic incentive for more violence and more acts of terrorism against innocent people in different countries. China wants to promote international cooperation against terrorism. And I hope other countries, especially the United States and other developed countries in Europe, included, for example, will join China in such commitment to improve international cooperation against terrorism rather than being divided, enabling terrorism to win rather than terrorism to be defeated. Well, Andy, of course, uh, we know that uh, you know, there's a complicated relationship uh, between uh, Washington and Beijing, in particular, you know, Washington's, uh, that's the policy, tough policy on China, uh, since uh, they're concerned or anxiety, you know, China will replace the U.S. to become the number one country. Uh, some say that has prompted the Washington, you know, to politicize uh, this anti-terrorism issue. Uh, for example, they have been accusing China for quote-unquote, you know, genocide in Xinjiang, despite, you know, the population growth, despite the peace and stability in that region. What do you make of that? Well, Qingdua, this is not a new thing. So, but I think what is important to point out here is that 
uh, terrorism, these other issues you raised are very important in and of themselves. But more broadly, I think what this represents is a broad-based national security challenge that is facing China. And we, of course, have seen the government enunciate the importance of national security. And we see this in a number of different ways. Uh, the Ministry of State Security taking a more public role, uh, recently launching a, uh, a public WeChat account, educating uh, the public about the different dangers of espionage. China more broadly recognizing that national security is more than just military security, but as you mentioned, technological security, economic security, environmental security, even cultural security as well. So, you know, I think we can see this counterterrorism white paper as important not only in and of itself, but also uh, as recognition that more generally uh, national security needs to be prioritized. You know, in China, we went through a long period of focusing on primarily economic development and perhaps overlooking uh, some other things that have caused big problems around the world. Look at color revolutions, et cetera. And I think now we're seeing uh, a shift to uh, emphasizing a greater importance of national security exactly in response to these issues you raised, Tingdua. Uh, but Andy, you know, uh, you know, with this kind of uh, the practice of double standards, of course, and also geopolitical elements consideration, are we seeing like a less united efforts or international efforts against terror? You know, what kind of consequences that will have? Briefly. Yeah, I think it's on two, two tracks, Tingduo. So where there are common threats, I think obviously China and the U.S. Uh, will work together. Uh, but at the same time, the U.S. is looking to win this discourse battle as well. So, and I think we're witnessing with social media the increasing difficulty of promoting these false narratives. Right, yeah. With that, we come to the end for today's show. Many thanks to our guests. I'm Xu Qinduo. See you next time. With a history of 5,000 years, it's no surprise that China has created a fabulous treasury of folk tales. Once a year, on the seventh day of the seventh month, all the magpies fly up to heaven and form a bridge. So many amazing worlds to discover. I want a new palace, said King Mu of Zhou one day. Chinese folk tales retold for audiences today. Will, will you marry me? He asked. And with little hesitation, she said, <laughs> Yes! 5,000 years of amazing Chinese folk tales. My father must not go to war. Someone must take his place. You'll find Chinese Folk Tales Season 3, wherever you discover your favorite podcasts. Sideline Story brings you all things sports-related. The hottest topics, latest events, juiciest stories, all with a very personal take. Subscribe to Sideline Story Podcast for heated sports discussions covering events that are happening in China and around the world.